The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us to continue our January 6th Select Committee hearings analysis, professor of law at University of Michigan, Barbara McQuaid. She's going to talk us through all of the legal um, questions that I have because yesterday I felt like Barbara, especially because, you know, they, they're doing a good job of doing little summaries. <laughs> Um, you know, at the beginning, middle and end of these hearings, and I'm able to sort of take down notes of like everything that I've learned. I feel like they have laid out a very comprehensive case, um, really shooting down any questions around intent. Um, and that's where I, I wanted to start because I feel like, um, any questions we had about, well, maybe Donald Trump really believed that he won. (laughs) Um, those are answered. So when Liz Cheney went through her summary and I wrote it down because, I think I like summaries um, and I like timelines and lists and things. I went to law school. I, I got to use the skill. <laughs> yes, clearly uh, the trained legal mind thinking like a yeah. lawyer. I, I have to I have to use the skills mm-hmm. some some way. Um, mm-hmm. So the summary that I wrote down is that he lost. He knew he lost because he was told over and over he lost. He lost in court. Um, and then he came up with this lie about voter fraud. Um, and they're lying about it to this day. Um, and he went out and looked for people to legit, you know, to make the lies he was telling, um, legitimate, give legitimacy to those lies. Um, and that was a pressure campaign in order to do that. So she called that sort of a political coup and that all sort of led up to the insurrection. So in -hmm. terms of the testimony we heard yesterday, what are some of your top takeaways? Um, and, and how do they fit into the larger, plot because again it's a seven part plan to coup yeah and i think you're you're right that to the extent there was any residual doubt that trump was acting in good faith that he didn't really know he lost that he was you know hoping against hope that maybe there was some chance was really put to rest yesterday um i think you know many of us had read some of the prior transcripts of some of those witnesses yesterday but you know, you've probably had this experience. You read a dry witness statement and you mm-hmm. think, okay, this sounds pretty good, but I want to hear the witness myself <clears throat> so I can assess his credibility. And oftentimes when the witness actually speaks, it's not quite as good as it, it was in the notes, you know, that they shade a little bit. Uh, I actually fully expected them to find ways to defend Trump here, to say, yeah. well, you know, he was getting some bad advice. And once we met with him and we explained to him what was going on, you know, he, he saw it our way. And, and that really isn't what happened at all. It was, he was persistent. It was, um, there's no fraud, there's no fraud, there's no fraud. Well, just say there was fraud and leave the rest to me. I mean, he was really even asking them to lie. And then when Clark did say, all right, we'll just say we found irregularities, they were all prepared to resign. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it wasn't that he finally saw the light and he agreed with him. Oh, you know what, you guys, you're right. What am I thinking? Of course, there's no fraud here. 
Instead, he is just persuaded that it will be worse for him that if all these people resign, that's a worse storyline. That'll be the headline. It won't be, um, you know, that this letter went out. The letter will be overshadowed by you had to find the environmental lawyer and everybody else resigned. So I thought it really put to rest any question about intent. I, I also think that, um, you know, we've seen now every day you think, well, that's the worst scheme. You know, the stuff know. he did with Pence. They're like, oh, no, no, this, now that's the worst scheme when he reached out to Raffensperger in Arizona. And, and now you see um, DOJ and you think, no, that's, I think that if I were charging this case, I, I would go with the very broad conspiracy to defraud the United States. Um, and that is a, um, a, a fraudulent effort to interfere with uh, the proper functioning of government. And the function in this case would be the lawful transfer of presidential power, because that allows you to get each of those different threads into uh, one narrative and one crime. It feels like that's what the committee is trying to prove out. You know, they, they started with the, I mean, given the, the formatting and the structure of the way that they've, they've done these hearings, it feels like that's the um, crime they're trying to prove out. In terms of, um, the crimes that you know these folks could be implicated in who are we talking about because i feel like um you know donald trump is at the top of this um and that's what they're they're always going back to donald trump was directing all of this mm -hmm. um but there you know we have even at the end there which was teased at the beginning i appreciated that liz cheney's like at the end we're going to tell you who's on the pardon list <laughs> and I yeah. was like, well, I'm going to sit through this whole hearing then. Yeah, I right. Find out. So, so in terms of who is on the list of who could be implicated in crimes, you know, if you request a pardon, that's not generally when you don't think you've done anything wrong. So who is the list long? Does it include all of these congresspeople involved in this conspiracy to defraud the United States? Well, they listed the members of Congress yesterday who had requested pardons, and it was a fairly long list. Now, I think what they would say is that was no admission of guilt. If you look at the letter that Mo Brooks sent, and he, he, he sent, this is a letter for me, oh, and for Matt Gates, by the way, which is kind of funny, like, you yeah. know, who, who does it? Like since third grade, oh yeah, and my friend, my friend wants to come too. Um, but what they say, in the, it's full of all kinds of language, like, well, we know that when these socialist Democrat politicians get into power, they're going to bring a bunch of sham prosecutions against those of us who stood firm to protect democracy and therefore we'll need pardons. So I don't know that that is going to be, I, I think it's something, I think it's some evidence of some consciousness of guilt and it does sort of say I was involved in this. So it, it identifies them as uh, being part of the team, I suppose. But I don't know that it goes all the way toward um, criminal. I, it, it gives a little bit of insight into their intent, but I think you still need some criminal act. Um, but some of those members of Congress were prepared to, um, Trump said at one point, they had a hundred members of Congress ready to go to help with this false slate of electors scam, which requi would require members of Congress to go along with it. You have to have members of Congress object to certification of the vote, although you only need one from each house. So there were more uh, than they needed. But um, I think that there could very well be members of Congress who had agreed to go along with that plan. Um, and. The pardon list gives you some additional evidence, perhaps, but it won't be, you know, the whole the whole ball of wax. One of the things I also keep, keep um, going back to is some of the things that I hadn't thought about before um, the committee started laying out the case. And that is 
um, not just the fact that the, you know, there was a big lie, but the way in which the big lie was utilized to make advertisements, um, to lie to the American public through the media, um, cause they kept showing going back to his Fox news interviews and then also the fundraising. So they, so this sort of leads me back to some of the other things that we've seen because all of the lying that was going on was sort of being utilized in these different ways. Is that legally significant at all? Because it, it, it feels to me like that's, that's a kind of fraud. It is. In fact, it could be the easiest kind of fraud to prove. It reminds me an awful lot of the Steve Bannon, we build the wall scam. Oh, Remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm. He was charged along with three other men, two of whom have pled guilty, by the way. Bannon got pardoned. Um, and that scam was, hey, you know, Congress is getting in our way. We aren't able to build the wall we all want to build on the border with Mexico to keep out those immigrants. So we're going to raise money and build it ourselves, America. And they raised millions of dollars. And then rather than using it toward building the wall, they took the money for themselves. So that is a classic wire fraud scheme. And it appears here, based on the um, evidence we saw last week, that uh, Donald Trump raised $250 million for something he called the Official Election Defense Fund. In fact, there was no such fund. He created a PAC, a political action committee called Save America, shortly after the election. All the money went there. And from there, it got funneled to a number of different places, including a think tank that is now staffed by a, a number of former Trump administration employees. It went to a PAC, one of the leading members uh, of which is Mark Meadows. And it went to, wait for it, the Trump Hotel collection. Oh, that sounds like fraud. So that's, and they used email. That's like the classic wire fraud. I used a lie (laughs) to take money from you and I used an electronic transmission to obtain it, like an email. So the only caution I would have for that, it's a pretty easy case actually, Zerlina, and they get charged all the time, uh, this classic wire fraud. I would be concerned that that not be the only case because what Trump did is so much worse. He really tried to you know, defraud America over, the, over our democracy, which is about the biggest crime I can imagine. So I would hate to see the only charge be this you know, only $250 million fraud. Um, and so I'd be worried about um, a distraction. I, I think it could be part of a, of a, of a charge or it could be a separate case. I would almost want it you know, brought separately so that it doesn't cloud mm. um, a jury's view, like, well, compromise, let's just get them on the fraud thing and we'll, we, you know, the other thing's too hard. So that's a strategic question for prosecutors to decide. Ah. But I agree with you, it's there and I think it's really easy. I, I mean, it's so funny, like, <laughs> it's like one of the, the things I always remember about when they were telling us in the very beginning of law school, it's like, sometimes you just hear a story and you're like, I don't know what crime this is, but it just feels crimey. It just feels, this doesn't feel legal. So like yeah. maybe we should look into it. Um, one of the other things that um, I keep thinking about is Richard Donahue's testimony and, and just how compelling it was. I mean, I think all three of them were, were quite compelling. And as you said, I think a lot more aggressive and, and really clear in, in like that. No, we were telling him over and over. There was no fraud. We went down the list. Um, and Richard Donahue's point about you can't persuade somebody who doesn't care what the facts are, um, that really stayed in my mind. And I thought about that January 3rd meeting. I mean, the sort of optics of it even sound like 
the end of the apprentice episodes where he'd be like which one gets to survive you know like oh my do, gosh that's do, such do. a great analogy no literally that's what he was it doing is. They oh, were, he was sitting them he exactly. he had them sitting you know across you know different sides of the oval office the i mean the optics of it and he's sitting there should, should i keep him does he get to survive mm-hmm. another week or do i get mm-hmm. him this jeff or this jeff um, and it doesn't matter to him. I mean, I just keep, I, I was just like, this is wild. Like, this is a reality show, but it's like our government. Um, and, and to your point, I think it was that Steve Engel moment, and Lawrence O'Donnell made this point last night, and I, I think it was correct, and it's in line with what you said. It's the moment Steve Engel um, told Donald Trump that the story is going to be that your Def- okay. Jeff Clark is ruling over a graveyard. That's when he decided, okay, well, I'm not going to do it. Because, I mean, he could have put Jeff Clark, I suppose, if he had known about him way back when Bill Barr resigned. Like, why didn't he just put him in at that point instead of Rosen? Um, And so I think you're right that he he saw sort of the media narrative not going his way. But is that meeting evidence of anything? Because I just feel like that meeting, it just there. It was three days before the actual violence. Yeah. I think it's um, a really critically important one, n- not only for the events that occurred there, um, but at, at that moment, you know, Trump absolutely knows, even concedes really in not following through with this plan, that there is just no merit to this idea of fraud and, uh, uh, and he backs down at that moment. But then on January 6th, we see the video where he's still trumpeting these same lies. He's out there on the ellipse pounding his fist talking about these very same uh, allegations of fraud as if they're true. And so I think it is, uh, it is clear that he continues. And to this day, he persists in these lies. And so, you know, to the extent that he could have at some point said, you know, look, I was kind of being misled by some overzealous lawyers. Uh, you know, John Eastman was whispering things in my ear that I so desperately wanted to be true that I, uh, I fell under his, uh, his powers, and I went along with it. Um, John Eastman wasn't there on January 3rd. Uh, it was Trump, as you say, being the boss, making the decision. We've seen those photos. It's Trump, and he's looking at these guys. And at that moment of truth, he backs down because he realizes they're right. But he continues to persist in that lie. So I do think that makes it so important to his knowledge and intent. I mean, I just keep thinking about the end of The Apprentice when he's like, do you get to survive That's another week? Such a great analogy. <laughs> like, oh my Jeff God. Jeff Clark, you're fired. Really... I mean, really. You're fired. No, really. That was what he was doing. Should I fire this guy or that guy? I mean, wild. This is our life. Um, the other question I had um, is about how this is going to, how they're going to link this what was happening to what happened three days later. So they talked at the end of the hearing yesterday about how the next hearing, they're always sort of setting us up for the next hearing. I think it's very interesting that this hearing was originally supposed to be last week and it went a little out of order, but it sort of feels like this was the right order. I don't know if that was by design or not, but um, the next hearing is going to be about how violence um, became their last resort. So that's how you sort of see where that January 3rd meeting becomes really important because that was his last resort. He was pressuring, 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 but he couldn't, he couldn't get them to go along with it. He realized, you know, everybody was going to resign. And then their last resort in those three days was, I don't know, maybe Roger Stone was on the phone a lot. I mean, is that what we need to learn next to sort of like draw those two lines and connect them all the way together? 
Yeah. You know, I heard that teaser also, and, and it really caught my ear because I, I thought, wait, what's that now? Um, we have not really ever linked those things together. Certainly we know Trump was incredibly reckless in calling the mob to Washington and inciting them so that they would march down to the Capitol. Um, but I think you could always still say there's no evidence that Trump intended anything other than for them to go stand outside the Capitol. And he throws in the word peacefully uh, and scream at the top of their lungs in hopes that some member of Congress would be politically motivated to refuse to um, certify the count. But if she can tie that to the violence, that would be amazing. If she, uh, Liz Cheney, I guess, because she previewed it, the committee. Um, and, you know, there are some hints that that could be happening, as you say, with Roger Stone is perhaps a critical link. We know that at least in terms of the criminal investigation with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, that three of those defendants who've been charged with seditious conspiracy have pled guilty and are cooperating with the Justice Department. Um, and at least one of those, a man named Joshua James, um, was photographed with Roger Stone on January 5th and 6th, purportedly providing him with security. Um, if they can link that up, that you know Trump and his minions actually did help plan the attack, woo, that's like that's the grand slam home run. Then, um, and she hinted that that's happening. And you know this committee has not oversold its evidence yet, um, and so I'll be really tuned in to hear about that. So were, but I guess we have to wait till July, right? I know. Yeah, they were what a cliffhanger. Off. It's all because I think the, the the Supreme Court abortion ruling is happening. I yeah, mean, just sure. because I've you know, paid attention to media for a really long uh -huh. time. I feel like that's part of the, the reasoning here, um, which is smart. But there was another name that came out yesterday that I hadn't heard a lot, but I think actually is going to be my, maybe the connection between Jeff Clark and John Eastman, um, which is Ken Klikowski. Yes. Who's that? I feel yes. like he's a link he, here. He is an interesting link. You know, his name had come up before, that he was somebody who was working at the Justice Department who actually drafted that letter for Jeffrey Clark. You know, Jeffrey Clark's an environmental lawyer, he's not an election lawyer. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't know, you know, where to begin with that letter. But it gets drafted by this guy named Ken Klukowski, who, you know, I figured is some underling. But we learned yesterday that he joined the Department of Justice only on December 15th. I mean, who joins the Justice Department, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, what is that, uh, less than a, a month before the term ends? So that's kind of odd. And then we learned yesterday that he was linked to John Eastman. Whoa, that, like, that was new to me. And so what I think that suggests is that he's actually Eastman's guy. And this is actually all the same plan. And what they were trying to do, I think, is say, you know, sort of legitimize the plan by having the Justice Department bless it. And yes. making it look like it had arisen organically through the Justice Department. Look, even the Justice Department wants me to do this. And it's really all just... Eastman's plot getting dressed up. And so I thought that was incredibly interesting. I want to know, I have no idea who he is. He had previously worked at the Office of Management and Budget. Um, he had worked at Breitbart and he was working on a book about Barack Obama with the title, and this isn't exactly it, but the gist of it is, you know, Barack Obama is a leftist um, uh, radical who wants to ruin the world, you know, type of thing, type of title. So uh, I would, if, you know, I'm sure the Justice Department, I shouldn't say I'm sure, Boy, they should be interviewing this guy, <laughs> finding out everything they can about him because he's a really interesting character. And I think he provides this really important link between East, uh, Eastman and Jeffrey Clark. 
it's like boy they should be i mean but like are they because we're because we're not sure i mean here's the thing there was new new reporting this week and i think this got a little conflated so i just want to be clear with everyone um jeffrey clark's home was raided yesterday i don't know if that has anything to do with what was happening at the hearings it's probably just a coincidence because the department of justice like doesn't i don't think fbi agents raid your home based on anything other than if they have the evidence to go to the judge and say let's get a warrant um but i think um also you have um the department of justice requesting um requesting things um, newly here. So can you tell us what the DOJ is doing? Because there was two things this week that they did that have nothing to do with what the committee is doing. And I don't want people to think that it has anything to do with that because it's a separate thing. FBI agents aren't working for the committee. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. And I thought the timing of this was particularly interesting. And as you mentioned, the hearing for DOJ was supposed to happen last week and it was hastily postponed. And the reason they gave for the postponement is that our video staff needs a little more time to get their act together. Boy, that just didn't ring true at the time, especially <laughs> in like, especially like, remember how good they were on the Monday when right. uh, Bill Stepien's wife went into labor and like, bam, you know, presto change, oh, they're right. on it. And they got all, they like converted it to a video presentation in 45 minutes. Uh, and I wondered at the time, is there something happening? Will there be some big news breaking in DOJ between now and the time we have the hearing. And then lo and behold, we get this search at his home. And who knows, but it is, it is possible that Justice said to them, oh man, we're, you know, we're planning a pretty sensitive operation very soon. Do you think you could hold off on that DOJ day? You know, certainly do whatever it is you wanna do, but can you just postpone it a week because we've got something in the works? Um, that's a possibility because we see, on, it turns out it was on Wednesday, actually, we don't learn about it until Thursday, that the FBI, and I know Zerlina, the media loves the word raid, and it's a short word, so it fits in headlines, but uh, I would prefer to say executed a judicially authorized search warrant. I know it's a lot more words, but it's important because what it means is a judge made a finding of probable cause right. to believe that evidence of a specific crime, not crimey, a specific crime would be found at that location. And that says to me, that they have been, they've gathered sufficient evidence over a period of time to be able to make this showing to a judge and that they have reached the stage where they're willing to go overt with this investigation oh. and to, to tip off Clark that, look, we've got this warrant, we're investigating for this crime. Um, and that means they, they tend to wait until you've exhausted all of your covert stuff. You know, I've interviewed all the people I want to interview, like, you know, Kenneth Kukowski or whoever it is. I've put all the people in the grand jury and now I'm ready to unveil what we're doing here and go overt, which still may take some time. But um, I thought that was really interesting. And it says to me that they've been doing a lot more than I think it has been in the public domain. That's fascinating because I, 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 I didn't occur to me the delay could have been because of what the DOJ was doing. But I, actually, and and I don't know for fact. I know, I know. Speculating. No, no, no. I, I, but I think it's actually, mm. it, it's apt because, you know, the video excuse seemed weird. <laughs> like, I was like, really? You need a whole week to right. get, get it, it some video? Didn't seem yeah. like you were having issues um, in the other day. And um, if I'm the video guy, I'm really mad that they're using it. Right. They're so good at my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Um, so in terms of, of the of the specific crime, though, we only have three more minutes. But what what would Jeff is he? So are they investigating this conspiracy? Is that why they're raiding Jeffrey Clark's home for devices and you know, laptops, um, what, 
what crime? Well, you know, again, based on what we know, uh, based on the testimony we heard yesterday, which, you know, had been uh, previously known uh, in part, at least because of public reporting, um, it seems quite possible that Clark is being investigated for this conspiracy to defraud the United States. At the very narrowest, you could charge him with um, the federal voter fraud statute, which makes it a crime to interfere with an individual's uh, vote tabulation. So to the extent he's sending a letter to Georgia to say um, you should throw out those electors and um, convene the legislature and, and select your own electors, he is you know, impinging on the voting rights of the people of Georgia who elected mm. Joe Biden. And so that would be the narrowest piece. And, and oftentimes when you're doing a search, you just, you know, all you need is probable cause for the one thing to get you in the door. And if you're looking for evidence of that, uh, you get to look at documents and computers and other things, and then you get to take anything that's in plain view. So that could be sufficient, but it could be the larger conspiracy, you know, without naming Donald Trump, um, you could say that this is a conspiracy to defraud the United States that and there's probable cause that I think based on the public record, we could say there's probable cause that he committed uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States, along with Kenneth Klukowski and John Eastman. So, mm. um, you know, you only need one other person and you don't even have to name the other person in the search warrant application. So my guess would be something like that. Now, who knows? Maybe in the course of investigating, they've also stumbled on other things. I, I uh, you know, I won't speculate what they are, but financial crimes or other kinds of crimes and they're investigating that, but I'd be surprised. I mean, it really, it was also on the same day they served something like nine subpoenas and, and search warrants with um, people involved in the fake electors scheme. Right, that was the other, the, that was the in. thing I was trying to sort of say, and I, I didn't describe it correctly, but that was the subpoenas were also not from the committee. People were people were talking. Right. I, I saw a lot of analysis this week that was wrong because it was like the committee is sending subpoenas. And I was like, this says DOJ in this article. Yes, <laughs> yes you're right. Different. Yes. Um, they serve subpoenas on a number of people who signed those, uh, you know, fake electors ballots around the country, Arizona and Nevada and uh, a number of states who signed those things. So um, and they also had search warrants for some of their phones, which is interesting because, you know, the reason you would do a search warrant on a phone and they also got Jeffrey Clark's electronic devices is if to the extent that there are encrypted messages, you can't mm. go to the phone company and get those records. Um, you, you know, you can get what's there. You could get, you know, the way I text message just on my phone un unencrypted that could be obtained from um the phone company, but if they're using WhatsApp or Signal or one of those encrypted apps, you would need to get the phone itself. And uh, that could be what they're looking for there. So the fact that they all came on the same day also kind of suggests to me that they're all related. You know, it's all kind of a coordinated thing um, that these aren't like ones for financial fraud and ones for something else. I mean, it really sounds like DOJ. Uh, and, it, you know, again, hey, committee, can you just wait until next Wednesday because we've got something big cooking? Um, you know, kind of makes sense. Maybe we'll learn about that later. I know. I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by all of this um, choreography <laughs> of, yeah. of how the, the hearings are playing out with what the DOJ is doing. And again, you know, there's no there's no more saying like, Merrick Garland, what are you doing? Because they're doing stuff. I just don't know what what mm -hmm. the larger purpose of it is. Um, but they are certainly active. Barbara McQuaid, yeah. thank you so much. It's always so great to have you to explain all this stuff. It is complicated, and this is completely unprecedented in American history. So if you, you know, you're finding it hard to follow it all, um, it's not just you, and that's why we have folks like Barbara to help us understand it. Thank you so much. Please have Thanks, a great Selena. weekend. Okay. Stay safe.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina Check-In for new episodes every weekday. 